Dr. Sue, FDA, and Big Pharma accusing they suppressed hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in favor of high-profit vaccines and experimental therapies. And they win, forcing FDA to admit the claims were true. So here's the question. You think Kevin Trudeau is pissed? The truth is, the truth has a way of emerging. And to reveal facts takes real journalism. And for that, you turn to TNN, the Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Facts really do matter. They really matter, especially when we are facing life and death decisions for ourselves, for our nation, for people that live other parts of the world. We're all in this together. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. It's a big day, an important day every day. Decisions that are made on a personal level, On a legislative level, I'm talking about not just in Congress, but in your state, in your town, in your city. We need to wake up and realize all the government decisions that are being made are changing the lives, in many cases, changing the lives for people everywhere permanently. We have given our government to people that we trusted, Well, maybe we didn't all trust, but a consensus of people in local, state, federal elections believe these are the people that will do what they said they would do. And if they do that, we agree with their thoughts, their ideas, being the ones that best represent us. Isn't it interesting? There are so many people that want to be in government but there aren't that many that really want to serve in government. And I think once they find out when they get there, it's not just easy rolling. It's hard. It's difficult. There are lots of things that have to be decided, and it's hard to decide those things based upon cold, hard facts because you hear over here, well, this is factual. And on the same matter over here, you hear, oh, no, 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 don't go there. That's not true. It's really difficult today to live in America, to be an American, to trust those in authority over us in government and believe they're really doing what's best for us. Well, it's a big day. Doesn't seem like the weekend, but we're almost here. And every day, every day is an important one because we make choices. We're going to get into all of the choices you got to make today, Thursday, November 2nd. By the way, it's a birthday for a very special person in my life. Our youngest daughter, Corey, was born on the day Jimmy Carter was elected president. When I sit back and imagine life without you, I can't fathom how I ever thought I'd make it on my own. And there's at least a million reasons I'm still standing here believing. You're my comfort, you're my healing. This I know. We can't see the wind when it moves the leaves from the bottom to the top of the tallest trees. You are everything that I'll ever need, and I can't. 
again. Good morning. Welcome to Thursday, November 2nd. Yes, we have a child celebrating a birthday today. Born the day Jimmy Carter was elected president. Oh, my gosh. 1976, November 2nd. Corey Lee, our youngest daughter, turns 47 today. Baby, happy birthday. You've always made this dad very, very happy to be a dad. We love you. She is a miracle story, folks. Those of you who know our family and know her, she is a miracle. She lost a child in the most egregious way you can imagine. She and her husband waited five years to become parents, and the baby died in her womb. It was a horrible, horrible experience for her and our family to go through. But we're all better people because we have a baby in heaven. Emerson. Wow. And then she beat breast cancer. Had the bad kind, really bad kind. She had a double mastectomy. She went through reconstruction later on. And uh, she did the big, the whole big thing. And she's 15 years cancer-free. Happy birthday, Corey Shirley. We love you. Well, while you were asleep, the world continued to turn and it continued to burn, especially overseas in the Middle East. We're in kind of the second phase of this thing going on in Israel. Can you feel it? It's like we went through the first big Hoo-ha, noise everywhere, horrible things happening, people pointing fingers, placing blame. And now we're kind of, and I don't want to, I don't want to diminish this, but it seems kind of like we're slowing down a bit for phase two, whatever that's going to be. One Hamas official yesterday threatened that Hamas terrorist organization would begin conducting more attacks similar to those they did overnight October 7th, that Saturday surprise massacre of civilians in Israel. And now, this guy's doubling down on all that. Hamas official Ghazi Hamad said the October 7th attack was justified and that they'll continue to conduct these massacres like that as many times as they possibly can. Hamas terrorists who breached Israel's border with Gaza They killed more than 1,400 individuals that day, October 7th, took more than 200 hostage. Israel is a country that has no place on our land, he said. We must remove that country because it constitutes a security, military, and political catastrophe to the Arabic and Islamic nation and must be finished We're not ashamed to say this, he said, with full force. We must teach Israel a lesson, and we'll do this again and again. This Al-Aqsa flood is just the first time. There will be a second, a third, a fourth, because we have the determination, the resolve, and the capabilities to fight. On that day, October 7th, October 10th, October One millionth, everything we do is justified. Now, this is the leader of Hamas that's speaking. So Israel continues to respond with their strikes targeting Hamas operations in Gaza and Hezbollah terror targets in Lebanon. 
Our policy is clear. We will strike in response to any attempted attack and will eliminate any terrorist cell that tries to infiltrate or shoot toward Israeli territory. That's on the other side of this. IDF, Israel Defense Force spokesperson, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, and he said that in response to the Hamas leader, Hamad. Neither side is giving any indication of they're going to slow down. They're going to do a ceasefire. No, no, no. Leaders in Hamas, leaders in Israel, they are both, both sides, committed to ending this thing permanently. I guess what that means for you and me, we better buckle up. Because it seems we're nowhere close to getting to the end of this. I can't imagine another world war. I missed World Wars One and Two. I missed the Korea conflict. I was not there, but I was old enough and was just about to be old enough to be drafted into the military for Vietnam. And of course, we all looked in and watched uh, the Middle East wars, and it wasn't a good thing. War is never a good thing. I hate to even admit this, but sometimes war is necessary. And the people top to bottom that live in Israel, almost everybody, those that either directly or indirectly were impacted in their families, their businesses, through the deaths and the slaughter of their fellow Israelis by Hamas, unprovoked, on October 7th, they'll never forget. On that note, before we go on, I told you yesterday, yesterday's show, that I get Emails, text, pictures, videos. I mean, dozens and dozens of those every day. People sending me things that they feel are important and they want to share with us, our audience at TNN Live. I got one of the most nauseous videos yesterday. There was, there was no introduction. It was just actual live video, and it was from a hospital, I don't know which hospital, but it was the close-up of five children. There were a bunch of others in the background, but specifically five children laying on the floor. Looked like they were between the ages of four and maybe six. Every one of them was writhing in pain. Their bodies were ripped apart. There was blood everywhere. They were all crying. And adults... It looked like it was nurses in a hospital. They were dressed in nurses' garb. They were trying to help these babies. One girl in particular, and this was gut-wrenching for me. She laid on the floor, and whoever was taking the video, videoed, had the camera or phone, whatever, on top of her. She was about three feet below, and they panned from the top of her body down to the bottom. She had a compound fracture in her right knee. And if you don't know what that is, a compound fracture is when a bone breaks and it pierces the skin. It was in her knee, just above her knee. And her little thigh bone was sticking through her skin out into the open air. And she was writhing in pain. These people do not 
have an exclusive on evil. We got to remember that evil exists everywhere. It's not just in one group of people. In almost every way in our lives, everything we go through, important to us, maybe sometimes not important to us, but important to others, maybe the flip side of that is true. But people make the choice to let evil enter their lives. Think about that. All the scourges, all the political things that are taken to use as weapons to attack political opponents, all of those come from choices that people have made, evil choices in this case. And who pays the price? The most innocent among us, children. Pray for the Israeli people. Pray for the people, the Palestinian civilian people. And I'm going to say one more thing about prayer. You may not like this, but pray for the members of Hamas and Hezbollah and all of the Islamist jihadist groups over there in the Middle East that are all singularly committed to destroy an entire society and nation and everybody that is part of it. Why? Why do the Islamists want to destroy and do away with every Jewish person on earth? You can call it whatever you want to. You can call it anger. You can call it um, not liking people, hating other people. You can call it all those things. But what it really is, is people that have made a choice to espouse hatred for other people. They've made those choices. And they'll never be satisfied unless and until every Israeli is destroyed. That's what we face today. Thank God we're not facing it on our homeland soil, that it's happening on some other place. But that doesn't mean we're not part of it. Folks, please recognize that. We are all part of this holocaust that is underway. Starts on the opposite side of the world, but we'll get in during the show this morning. It's happening in the United States already. So what are we going to do? What choices are we going to make? We're going to have to make choices every day. We can't base the choices that we make on things that we just think about. Maybe that's true. So we're going to do this. We're going to decide to not do this. We can't go down that road. We just can't do it. But we've got to understand there are people out there that have sold out to the evil of destruction of fellow residents, citizens of the earth. We're going to have to deal with it. It's not just going to go away on its own. So during the show today, we're going to do some of those things. And what we're going to do is open eyes. Now let's segue from that soliloquy over to something that it impacts us all. How much you're paying at the pump for a gallon of gas? Oh no, here we go. Every day we talk about oil, oil in the world, oil around the world. Our president selling off our strategic oil reserves. 
did so for political chits that he could put in his quiver and have to prove or try to prove that he's a great president, which I hate to even say it, but he's not. Joe Biden, he's front and center in this conversation about energy worldwide. He's the one who single-handedly made us totally dependent almost on foreign sources for our oil. He stopped as much as he possibly could oil exploration across the United States and the waters around our nation. And we, for the first time in decades, generations too, were oil independent in the United States. Not going to happen in my watch, he said. And he canceled the XL pipeline. That wasn't the XL pipeline wasn't the panacea to get oil and gasoline and diesel prices down. What it was was a sign to everybody in the world, I'm launching a frontal attack on everything to do with carbon fossil fuel energy. And that's what Joe Biden did. So what are we facing right now today? Remember, there's war on earth, and every time there's war, Energy cost, as well as the cost of every other thing that we need, go sky high. What's it look like today? Middle East tensions could shock oil prices. Jackie, you're breaking it all down for us. That's right. And the expectation, of course, has been for oil prices to rise. Brian, they have modestly, but nothing like one would expect. They're trading just over $80 a barrel right now. The World Bank warning that we could see $150 oil as a result of the war, but Smart Money Guys is saying no. One of my sources tells me um, that the floor for oil has certainly risen about $75 a barrel now, but the expectation for prices to almost double is overblown. And that's because there's one difference, one big one between this conflict and past Middle East conflicts. And that's the role that U.S.-Saudi relations will play here. I dug into the numbers a little. I saw that overall production from OPEC, according to the last monthly report, sits at just about 27.8 million barrels per day. Nine million of those barrels come from the Saudis. They are OPEC's largest producer. But remember, the Saudis made a voluntary production cut of one million barrels per day right at the beginning of October, they wanted to support higher prices. But this was just before Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. At that time, they said that cut would last to the end of the year, but that they would continue to review it and pivot if necessary. Traders are now saying they're going to put that oil and possibly more back on the market if they need to. They will make sure that prices don't go wild as a sort of silent but powerful show of support to Israel and to the United States. Now, the United United States produces about 13 million barrels a day. We are back to pre-pandemic levels, but under President Biden, oil production hasn't grown at all. The SPR has been drained by half. If we had kept pumping the last two and a half years, we could have been at 15 or 16 million barrels a day and not leaning on the Saudis right now um, in a time of crisis. But it's good to know that the relationship that I President Trump, I want to point out, uh, was able to strengthen for the United States. It's there, and we certainly might need it at this time. American Petroleum Institute CEO Mike Somers joins us now. Mike, that is the opinion of one person that I spoke to who is really versed in this field, and I'm wondering what you think of it, because everybody is scratching their heads, and they're saying, well, why aren't prices going higher um, at a time of war? Normally, they would. So I'm curious to hear your take. 
Well, here's the good news. American production is at record levels. We are producing about 13 million barrels of oil every single day, which as you pointed out, is uh, record production and back to pre-pandemic levels. That is the good news. The bad news is, is most of that production is actually occurring on private lands. But most of, or a lot of American production, about 20% of American production is on private, or is on public lands and in public waters. And the administration, those are the areas that this administration has direct control over, they continue to put a damper on American production on public lands and in public waters. We could be producing more, but the regulatory environment in this country continues to get more stringent on American oil and gas, and that is bad news for American consumers. Mike, I want to pick up on that because Jackie mentioned what we could be producing if we weren't restricting output. She said 15, 16 million barrels a day. I wonder if that's your number as well. But beyond that, what difference would that make practically right now in terms of foreign policy? I mean, the, the sense I get, it would strengthen our hand meaningfully. Is that where you are? Well, we're in a much better place than we were during the oil oil embargo from the early 1970s when the United States was not producing as much oil and gas. And in fact, those numbers continued to go down throughout the 1970s, again, by the way, because of bad government policies. We have a real advantage here in the United States now because our production can continue to increase if we get the regulatory and the policy environment right. But that's going to be take an administration that's really focused on increasing American energy independence. Again, the good news is is that we're at record production. Record production. The bad news is is that we could be doing more. The other thing that we need to consider is even as we've reached record levels of production here in the United States, demand continues to go up as well. We have actually we're sitting on record demand uh, for oil and and gasoline products and natural gas as well. So we need to be producing more here in the United States to give us a buffer, uh, particularly in this foreign policy arena, because the world is becoming more volatile, not less. And if we don't have American production, mm -hmm. American consumers are going to be hurt. Yeah. You know, Mike, I wanted to ask you, you know, as we understand and see that oil prices are not spiking at the moment, I mean, it does seem like we have a war breaking out in Israel with the possibility and concerns that it could rise to a regional conflict. So there's the possibility that we could see the oil prices spiking in the future. You know, what more could policymakers be doing here at home? You say produce more. What do they need to be thinking about? Should we be doing things like replenishing the SPR? Well, we should really be concerned about the policies that are being pursued by this administration. Let's just think about what they've done in the last couple of months. They've taken off production in the Alaska National Wild Refuge. They don't want us to be producing anymore in an area where that has actually been designated as a big petroleum reserve for this country. They've taken off production in the Gulf of Mexico. They took off 6 million acres of production in the Gulf of Mexico. There won't be one lease sale in the Gulf of Mexico next year because of policies of this administration. And we're watching other regulations that are coming out of this administration. So honestly, the things that they should be doing right now are the exact opposite of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And if we can, again, get these policies right, we will be able to produce more and be able to fill that strategic petroleum reserve once again, because we're likely going to need it during a potential shock uh, if we're not careful in the world environment right now. Election year. Remember these numbers. Election year. What year was that when Biden was elected? 2020. In the fall of that year, yeah, Donald Trump was president. We became energy independent for the first time in a generation 
we were making more oil, getting more oil and natural gas out of the ground for our own use than we ever had. And we had oil and gas left over. We were actually helping our neighbors to the east in Europe. We were selling them massive amounts of LNG, liquid natural gas. It's a very important type of oil and oil products because it burns cleaner, much cleaner. That means it's way more climate friendly, Uncle Joe. We produce 13, almost 14 million gallons of oil domestically in the United States the month before Joe Biden became president. Four months later, after Joe Biden pulled the plug on fossil fuel production here in the United States, we were producing less than 9 million barrels a day. And as we've discovered, it was pointed out by the petroleum experts when Joe took this path for us all, unilaterally determined, we're going to go down this road because that's what I want to do. That's basically what the purpose was. That's what Joe wanted to do. He was paying off his climate big contributors by starting climate change elimination. What a stupid idea. Think about the tens of billions, and even if it's trillions of dollars, that determination by one person, the President of the United States, has already cost the people of the United States. We used to laugh at it when somebody said, you know, we we could be paying $150 a barrel for gas. If we ever go back to that, and don't say that it will never happen because we've gotten really, really close on several occasions. You know what that means to you at the pump? $5 a gallon gas. Now, if that is the price of a gallon of gasoline, an average price across the nation, that means somebody's paying $7.50, $8 a gallon, and somebody's only having to pay $4 a gallon somewhere else. But if the average is $5 a gallon, can you imagine how that'll change your life? We are seconds away from that happening today. If we break out in a full war in the Middle East, that's what we're looking at. Not trying to scare you, trying to make you understand. We're not being told the truth coming out of the White House. We can't trust those things because these people have been caught in lie after lie after lie. Let me give you an example. Actually, I'm going to tease an example. Dr. Anthony Fauci, you know, Mr. I am the science. He told us regarding everything to do with medical stuff across the spectrum. Everything. When we were getting into and living in a pandemic, we had to listen to him. He had the science inside of him to make sure we didn't all just die. We've got some nasty proof and evidence for you this morning that Fauci lied between his teeth. And it has to do with not the source of coronavirus, but what he was doing when COVID-19 came to be something 
for you and I, and it killed tens of thousands of people here around the world, millions. And he, Dr. Anthony Fauci, was up to his eyeballs in it. We'll get to that later in the show. So what is President Biden doing now? Well, he flew to Minnesota yesterday. He went to visit a farm and to talk about his amazing rural agenda. But when he got there, he was heckled. He couldn't even speak at one point. He was heckled about Gaza at a Minneapolis fundraiser. (laughs) That's where people are supposed to be coming to write a check to support your campaign. But in Minnesota, it didn't work out that way. Rabbi Jessica Rosenberg, a bearded reconstructionist rabbi and an activist, interrupted Biden to ask why he had not called for a ceasefire in Israel. Biden told her he backed a pause to let the prisoners out, adding, and this is a quote, this is your president, quote, I'm the guy that convinced Bibi, that's Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, I'm the guy that convinced Bibi to call for a ceasefire to let the prisoners out. Doesn't that make you warm and fuzzy all over? I didn't do it myself. I didn't tell anybody on an international stage. I convinced Bibi Netanyahu (laughs) to make a good choice. Listen, I don't know what Joe is smoking, what he's drinking. I don't have any clue what his dreams are. But Bibi Netanyahu didn't call hasn't called and won't call for a ceasefire. And the reason is, just as I watched that video of those children writhing on the floor, just cut up into pieces. One little I won't even I won't even give you any more about it. It was horrendous. Marianne, she had to turn her back and walk away because it was children, the most innocent among us. I'll never forget that rabbi's name, Jessica Rosenberg. (laughs) And Joe's bragging about what he's done in the war. I'm the guy that convinced Bibi. The White House later did what the White House has to do almost every day now. They clarified that Biden was referring to the hostages, not prisoners held by Hamas after the October 7th attack. He was heckled by Rosenberg while speaking to a crowd of about 200, and they were all there to write a check. Huh, wonder how many checks were written. The rabbi's striking appearance gave rise to questions as to whether she is trans. But Rosenberg herself deliberately avoids that issue. Interesting. Her biography, by the way, which appears on various websites, states she is a Reconstructionist rabbi, born, raised, and based in Philadelphia. She became a rabbi in order to learn our people's diverse and nuanced histories and to create spaces, ritual, and organizing that helps transform our relationship to past, present, and future. Now, she described herself as a queer Jewish woman obsessed with Jewish history and has championed LGBTQ plus rights as well as Palestinian issues. Isn't it interesting to watch the true colors of people when it gets very heated out there on every front? Joe Biden 
And this is sad what I'm about to say about our president. He is so insecure and he's afraid. The president of the United States is afraid. He does not want to, and this has got to be the reason he's playing this out the way he's playing it out. He doesn't want to be known in history as the president that lost our nation, lost a whole section of people living free heretofore before he became president, living free and called themselves Jewish people. But if these people in the Middle East, and not just the members of Hamas, but others are out there, they tell us every day, they trumpet it from the mountaintops, Jews have no right to exist. And they don't even talk reason. They don't even consider reason. They have no desire to because they have, since they were little, been taught that Jews are bad just because of who they are biologically. That, my friends, is the epitome of racism. So look around your nation, right here in the United States. Look around at how people are reacting to this every day in these uh, so-called pro-Palestinian demonstrations. We find out every day. George Soros, by the way, is involved in all this. That shouldn't surprise you. They're bragging about it. His son, who has taken over the political piece of operating George Soros's open society, supposedly a not-for-profit entity, they are funding, not all of it, but a huge portion they are funding these pro-Palestinian rallies. A lot of those people you see conducting those evil things on the streets are paid to do that. That shouldn't surprise you. That's exactly what happened in the summer of 2020 when there were over 500 acts of terror, riots around the United States. Did you know more than 500 of them happened? Billions of dollars of infrastructure destroyed, dozens of people killed, hundreds of people put in hospitals. We don't hear a thing about it. Why? Democrats are in control. They're the ones running it all. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a Bud. You've earned it. Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions, they're glorious, and their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian, they're spooky, they're um, um, big. And then you go to battle, and it's like... <laughs> 
Then finally, your foe is vanquished, and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh. Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh... Can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, Ooh can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, uh, can I get a... Uh... 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 Go, Bubba, go! Uh... Hey, can I get a... Uh, Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... sound in the morning, isn't it? Some kind of wonderful. Hey, I heard about what was going to happen on last night's Sean Hannity show, Hannity on Fox News Network, and it was another trip for Sean and his staff to Washington, D.C., to the Capitol. They were in some room inside the Capitol, and this really shocked me. Almost every Republican that is a member of the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives, was in the same room. They were all there together in unity. Now, there were a few that were missing. There were lots of things that happened, you know, when you have 217 people of the same ilk, when you have a get-together. You're usually not going to get everybody there. But it looked like, and you couldn't count them, but it looked like, and I saw tons of faces that I recognized that had been in many cases anti-this and anti-that and pro-this and pro-that about the House Speaker charade that we all watched unfold over the last month or so, that it ended up in choosing unanimously Congressman Mike Johnson from our city, from our state, from Louisiana, to be the House Speaker. And so Hannity was just there. I mean, early last week, it was a one-on-one interview with Congressman Mike Johnson, but this one was to talk about what's going on in the political party and what are the Republicans in the process of doing. Just to make you feel comfortable, the wheels, the wheels, the very essence of the political process in the United States government, at least on one side of the aisle in one chamber, is driving along at 150 miles an hour, getting things done. They got another section of our budget passed overnight last night. Just since Mike Johnson's been the House Speaker, they've got more completed. In other words, the Republicans put the bill together, they voted on it, they uh, they had hearings on it into the night, most nights, working late hours to get consensus so we don't face that debt limit expiration thing that we face almost every time there's got to be a budget of late. It was interesting to me to watch and listen as Hannity once again just asked all kinds of questions, not just to Johnson, but to all the leaders in the House and asked questions and asked for responses to those questions from the other Republicans sitting in the room. Applause broke out all during this interview. 
These people are excited. They're excited about the leadership of House Speaker Mike Johnson. And the left are going crazy. Now, I'm going to take you back a week and a half when it was three different candidates that they were putting up to be considered to be the House Speaker, replacing ousted House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And oh man, everybody was loving it. All kinds of consternation among the GOP representatives in the House. They can't get their stuff in order. They want to lead the nation. They're horrible. There were two turncoat Republicans. Both of them are not in office any longer. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And I played what I'm about to play for you. It's part of an interview when one of the Democrat people at MSNBC was tearing apart, ripping apart all of the divisiveness in the Republican caucus. And I've got to be honest with you, there was justification for those people saying those things because it looked very bleak to all of us conservatives. It didn't look like they were going to get anything pulled off. But step up to the, to the plate, grab a bat, and start swinging Mike Johnson, he's done a great job. We'll get to a little more of that on the other side of this, but I wanted to take you back 10 days and listen to these Democrats ripping the Republicans. And we have some breaking news from Capitol Hill. Republicans have just chosen yet another nominee for Speaker of the House after a couple of failed attempts. I want to bring in now Manu Rajo Drew over on Capitol Hill. Manu, uh, the fourth time's a charm. What's going on right now on the Hill? actually a real warning sign yet again for Republicans as they name their fourth nominee in just three weeks. Mike Johnson was named the nominee Republican from Louisiana, won the majority vote in his conference with 128 votes just moments ago. But there's a real warning for him and concerns about his ability to get the 217 votes he will need to be elected Speaker of the House. That's because there are 44 votes who voted for other candidates. 44 Republicans voted for other candidates. 43 of those voted for former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And that is causing enormous tension in the room next to me. Some members believe that McCarthy is intentionally undercutting Mike Johnson's ascent to the Speakership. And others, including Mark Green, who is a candidate in this race, once he learned that some of those candidates were voting for Kevin McCarthy, said that people were playing games, and he decided instead to endorse Mike Johnson, all raising more concerns about whether the Republicans, after three weeks of gridlock, of infighting, of, a, of a dealing with a leadership crisis that has left the House completely paralyzed, can actually get out of the crisis that they themselves caused here because of the fact that even though they have another nominee who has a majority of the support within the Republican conference, this person at the moment, Mike Johnson, does not have the 217 votes he needs to be elected speaker, raising even more questions, Abby, about how they will resolve this, who could come next, what the next plan might be if nothing changes in the next 24 hours or so, as all these huge issues wait for, that, for the House to act, whether it's dealing with Ukraine aid, Israel aid, or taking steps to avoid a government shutdown, none of that can happen given this infighting that is happening in the Republican Party, the inability to get behind a candidate, and the aftermath of the ouster of the speakership just three weeks ago, something that they have yet to resolve as they remain battling behind the scenes about how they should resolve this, Abby. It is really incredible that this is still going on. And as you point out, the chaos isn't over. 
the, their nominee still doesn't have the votes to become speaker as of right now. Manu, thank you. We're going to stay close uh, as the, this develops tonight. I'm also going to be talking to one of the Republican lawmakers who was just inside of that room voting and deliberating on speaker candidates. He'll be up in just a few minutes. But first, I just want to bring in now CNN senior political commentator Adam Kinzinger. He's a former Republican congressman himself. He was also on the House January 6th committee uh, to react, uh, Adam, to uh, everything thing that you just heard Manu say, they cannot come up with a speaker. And, and I want to just add one more factor in here, too. All of the last few candidates who were just up tonight, uh, they all voted to not so certify the last election. Uh, and uh, this is where things stand right now. What do you make of it all? Before, before Ken Singer speaks, if you just joined us, this is going back a week and a half. When there was chaos among the, the the people picking the new leader for the House of Representatives, and they just put, before this interview happened, the Republicans just put Mike Johnson up to represent them as the candidate, the next candidate for Speaker of the House. Now, Adam Kinzinger, he's one of the two Republican turncoats that joined that so-called January 6th insurrectionist panel, you know, the one that Republicans, the two that sat on that panel, Cheney and Kinzinger, they couldn't call witnesses. They couldn't cross-examine anybody that came as a witness. They couldn't enter any evidence into anything going on at that committee. It was all controlled by Nancy Pelosi, who was then House Speaker. Kinzinger hates Donald Trump. Liz Cheney hates Donald Trump. Neither one is in Congress today because Kinzinger didn't even run. Liz Cheney got a whooping up in Wyoming. They send her packing, the voters up there. So now they're all foaming at the mouth and they're going to find Kinzinger. Here's somebody that used to be a very important Republican, but he he's a truther now. And this reporter turning it over to Kinzinger to answer just threw in another thing for him to double down on, and that is all of these people that they put up for House Speaker now, I got to remind you, every one of them voted against confirming the results of the 2016 election for the American people. They tried to start an insurrection to overthrow the government. And you know why that was said? 99% of the American people out there don't know this fact. There are dozens of examples. We've played them exhaustively here for you to hear. A string of Democrats through the years that have stood to their feet refusing to certify the results of elections in their various states at the federal level. Making it seem like we've got to prove somehow these people broke the law and it's all pointed at Donald Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping to the microphone, former House member Adam Kinzinger. He's got the facts. Well, let me first off say it's a good night to be a former Republican member of Congress because otherwise you're going to be up till 10 o'clock and continuing to battle each other. Here's the thing I think people need to understand. What this division that you're seeing playing out in public actually isn't new. My entire time in Congress, this was a dynamic that existed within the GOP conference. The difference is 
the we'll call them the moderates for the sake of argument, the people that are kind of like, you know, let's work together as a team. They're actually standing up and fighting back for the first time ever. If you think back 12 years to anything the Republican majority since 2010 tried to do, there was always a group of people that was you know, taking it down. You look at the Obamacare repeal and replace bill, which I actually think the one we had created was good until the far right came in and said, no, we want to make sure there's no protection for pre-existing conditions. They're always coming in and throwing bombs. And now you're actually seeing the regular folks actually fighting back against that. And right now, look, Mike Johnson, I mean, I'll tell you, the guy started out fairly normally and then went really deep into Trump when he realized that's what it took to get reelected. Um, so I, he, he may have the same issues Jim Jordan does as long as the so-called moderates continue to try to fight back. I think we're going to see a point eventually, if I had to predict where this was going to go, it's either going to go into people need to just elect uh, Patrick McHenry, who, frankly, everybody likes. He's just reluctant to do it. He doesn't want to be speaker. I don't blame him. Or ultimately, a deal has got to be cut with the Democrats. Um, But we'll see. I think Mike Johnson will be a good test for everybody to see if kind of a, a regular name, not really a controversial name, can win this. And if he can't, then I think they're, we're going to have to start thinking outside the box. Mike Johnson, the GOP conference vice chair, he's also the deputy whip for the Republican conference. As you point out, not really a household name, uh, but also not someone who got more votes than the last person who was the speaker designee. So it's hard for me to see. The math is not mathing on any of this. Um, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, thank you. You bet. For those of you that listen to this show, many of you are, you're across the spectrum politically. You're not all a bunch of hacks like me. I'm all in for conservatism, and I'm in for the most conservative, realistic candidate at any race across the government that I can weigh in with my vote on. But it it kind of made me chuckle over and over and again. It was like Kinzinger, who every conservative despised, because he is a turncoat. And of course, Liz Cheney, we don't even need to bring it up. She's been despised for years and years, as was her father, Dick Cheney, vice president to Bush 43. Did you know that? You may not have. What was so ironic was listening. Oh, this is, this is beyond fixing. Oh, these evil, far-right people that support Donald Trump. You know the irony, what the irony in this whole thing you just heard was? Now, this was a week and a half ago. This is when the House was trying to figure themselves out and get the right person to become Speaker. Resulted in Mike Johnson being that Speaker. And so far, everybody is realizing here's a leader, a real leader, that doesn't play politics. He's doing the work for the American people. That's what he's doing, and he's doing it on a constitutional basis in leading the party in the House. And by the way, Adam, Mike Johnson got the vote of every Republican. All 217 voted for him. They're eating crow. Of course, they're not ever going to accept the fact that they didn't have a clue what they were talking about. I just wanted to remind you of how crazy people can get when they play politics instead of working in and for the political process here in the United States of America. I promised you that our buddy, Mr. Dr. Pandemic, Mr. Science, 
the guy that knows more than anybody else. I am science, Dr. Anthony Fauci told us. He's kind of slipped away. And as he slipped away, he looked at his bank records, and every day he became richer. He was a millionaire. Now he's a multimillionaire. You know why? You and I paid for it. Many of us, our fellow Americans, paid for it with their lives. Fauci busted. That's next. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent conversation. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. During our pandemic, I despise talking. We had to every day about Dr. Fauci, things Dr. Anthony Fauci said to us, said about us, his wisdom in guiding us through and getting us out of that pandemic without any more people dying. And then we find out later, those people that died, many of them didn't have to die. They died at the behest of Dr. Anthony Fauci and what he told us to do and not to do. And I'll once again remind you, anytime you see any conundrum in government and you begin to ask questions, why, why, why? Don't ask those. Go to the source at the very beginning of it all, whatever it is. In this case, it is Dr. Anthony Fauci. The love of money is the root of all evil. So we're going to turn the calendar back just a bit. Bats, coronaviruses, you remember all that? And Dr. Fauci. All of those were at the center of a U.S. taxpayer-funded study conducted more than a year before COVID. And it was conducted at a lab in Montana, not in Wuhan, China. That was going on at the same time as well. 
we have an extended family member, a doctor who was over there in Southeast Asia when they first identified coronavirus. Just in time for Halloween, a 2018 study that was connected to America's most well-known mad scientist surfaced. Hmm. And this study, guess what it did? I'm sure you know all of this. I mean, I investigate things every day. My wife will tell you I spend far too much time, at least by her definition, researching stories that we bring to you. (laughs) We all knew about this, or we suspected it. But, of course, Mr. Dr. Science, he made it very clear. None of this could stick with him because he is science. Anyway. This well-known mad scientist surfaced tying the National Institute of Health's Rocky Mountain Laboratories, tied that lab to the infamous Wuhan Institute of Virology. And this was a study published in the journal Viruses. Research conducted at the Montana facility overseen by then-director of the NAID. That, of course, would be Dr. Anthony Fauci was authored, Fauci was authored by researchers along with known Wuhan Institute of Virology collaborator from the University of North Carolina, Ralph Barrick. We told you through the entire coronavirus debacle, both of these guys didn't smell right and all the stuff they brought to us. At that lab, a Fauci-run lab in Montana, at that lab, 12 Egyptian fruit bats that had been obtained from the Catechin Wildlife Preserve in Thermont, Maryland, that's roughly 15 minutes away from Camp David, those bats were said to have been infected with the SARS-like WIVI coronavirus, imported from the Chinese lab, believed by many to be the source of a lab leak that triggered the global lockdowns back in 2020, designated the CWP, a roadside zoo. The study was first flagged by Drastic, a group of internet activists who investigate the origins of COVID-19 and that lab leak theory. The group White Coat Waste Project is now using the Freedom of Information Act to get more details about that quote-unquote experiment. Montana Republican... Matt Rosendale reacted to the report on the study, and that study indicated four of the bats had been euthanized for the express purpose to harvest an array of their organs and tissue samples for virological and histopathological analysis. Our government, this is part of that finding, that study, our government helped create the Wuhan flu then shut the country down when it escaped from the lab. Fauci, now this is from the study, Fauci and his cohorts must be held accountable. This is breathtaking information. And many of you that are listening right now, you're going, "Uh uh-huh, I suspected it. This highlighted research came after Fauci recently published an editorial in Science Translational Medicine that's titled, 
What keeps me up at night? <laughs> I don't know how the guy sleeps at all. All the big ones that he's told, the whoppers that he told us every day from the White House. That's hard to believe, too. And in that, he disclosed the possibility of the emergence of a brand new pathogen. Despite the warning of the pandemic, we must not become complacent that the pandemic is behind us because we have been surprised before by the emergence of a new SARS-CoV-2 variant that have eluded the protection afforded by prior vaccination or infection, he wrote, later emphasizing the need for supporting scientific and public health buckets. If not many of us will be spending a lot of time awake in bed or having nightmares when we're asleep. That's today's Fauci saying all this. So despite his own lasting denials of -of gain-of-function research, I mean, he and Dr. Rand Paul in Senate hearings, for four years, they went after each other's throats. Rand Paul is a very matter-of-fact, he's a doctor in his own right. He's not a virologist, but he's a doctor. So he knows a little bit more about medicine than do you or I if you're not a doctor. I'm not. And I like to watch that. It was one of those kinds of things. If I knew that Dr. Fauci was about to go before a Senate committee for a hearing, shoot, I'd pop popcorn and get a Diet Pepsi and go sit down and watch it. It was like going to the movies. Despite Fauci's lasting denials of -of gain-of-function research, you or I, neither one, we have never heard about gain-of-function research until... Dr. Fauci put it out there on the table for consideration. The NIH continued the nomination process to replace retired Dr. Francis Collins with Dr. Monica Bertaganoli. White Coast Weight Project shared some of her responses to Senator Rand Paul. So in response to his concerns, the senator, on whether or not she would support a ban on viral gain-of-function research funding by the NIH, Bertaganoli had replied, I am committed, and I'm quoting her, I'm committed to working with Congress on all efforts to improve biosecurity policies and to enhance our pandemic preparedness. In other words, as WCW, this not-for-profit investigatory agency, summarized, she maintained support for gain-of-function and funding animals labs in China. She also refused to commit to improving oversight of foreign animal labs. The surface report, it renewed the calls on social media for Fauci and others to be investigated and held accountable for any wrongdoing they might have committed. And that included allegedly providing false testimony to officials and their potential of being responsible for the deaths of millions. Can you believe this Billy Preston song? His one big hit. He had several so-called hits. This is back in the 70s. But he had a big hit with that song, Will It Go Round in Circle? Will It Go Round in Circles? Uh-huh. That's been the conversation with and from Dr. Anthony Fauci for years now. And we still, it's like you get a, uh, a salamander. <laughs> you know those They look greasy. They seem to be greasy. They've got that film all over them, and you can't pick them up. 
they slip out of your hand. That's Dr. Fauci, and maybe a salamander is appropriate when we talk about Dr. Fauci. But folks, we told you from the very beginning of this, before it was even a pandemic, we told you on air, and we wrote in stories at truthnewsnet.org, this guy's not right. There's something that smells there, and it really began to show its ugly head when he would tell us, here's what you do. You got to do this or you're going to die. And I'm not exaggerating. You remember, that's the kind of stuff he told us almost every day. And then he forgot what he told us a week ago. And on this Friday, he forgot that he told us the exact opposite to do the previous Friday. You remember that, that we lived through? We were all scratching our heads every day. He laughed about the mass stuff. Oh, we got to start wearing masks. This thing spreads faster than any flu, anything virological ever has. You got to wear a mask. And then he got into the types of masks. And then he laughed about it. On another show, he, he laughed and said, those masks aren't doing anybody any good. Well, why do you recommend them, Dr. Fauci? Well, we want people to feel comfortable instead of being consumed by their fear. So we just give them something to kind of bide the time until we get the facts all out there. Then you got to wear two masks, three masks. And then you can't wear enough masks. You've just got to keep piling them on. And he pushed us into shutting down everything. One of the most evil people I've ever known to be a part of our government, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And he's back now, doubling and tripling down on stupid, trying to convince us all the things he told us are still relative today. Now, we started the show with a short conversation about the latest going on in the Middle East. It's not getting any better. We're at the behest, information-wise, at the behest of the cable networks and the big broadcast three, ABC, NBC, and CBS, what they decide to bring to us. But remember this, they're the ones that pick and choose what we see and hear. They're making the decisions on what to bring to us. That video I started the show telling you about with those five babies writhing in pain on the floor of a hospital. They had been shot to pieces, broken bones. One little baby had a compound fracture in her thigh, and the thigh bone compound means it's broken through the flesh and it's visible. And it was horrible to see her writhing in pain, seeing that bone sticking through and above her knee, sticking out five or six inches, the big bone in her thigh. We don't want to concentrate on all those things, but they're really happening. They really are. And in that story at the top of the show, if you weren't here, I told you the leader of Hamas has said, this entire thing will continue in perpetuity. We will never quit until Israel and every Israeli person is eliminated from the planet Earth. Does anybody wonder anymore about what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said? This war will not end. We will eliminate every member of Hamas. And he didn't say it that way. He said, until every Hamas terrorist is killed. 
We learned overnight the Biden administration is considering stationing troops in Gaza if and when Israel successfully eliminates Hamas. Now, what is that? Is that any of our business? What do we have in the way of authority over anything overseas? It's none of our business. Do you know the history of how the Palestinians ended up owning Gaza? Israel. Israel gave the Palestinian, not the Palestinian Hamas members, but the Palestinian people, a two-state solution. You know what they've been screaming for for years? Israel gave them 25 miles of Gaza. It was theirs. And then the Palestinian people are the ones that opened the doors. They had free and fair elections, and they voted members of Hamas in as their leaders. And then hell broke loose, and we know the rest of the history. When Israel gave the Palestinians Gaza, it had an amazing beachfront all along the western side, 25 miles of Gaza, some of the most pristine beaches on the Mediterranean that are anywhere. Their tourist industry was through the roof, successful, and then Hamas started ripping Gaza apart at the seams, scaring people, slaughtering people, doing the same things they're doing right now. And the Palestinian sympathizers around the world, they're not looking for facts. They're not believing any of this. And now Joe Biden is considering stationing troops in Gaza if and when Israel successfully eliminates Hamas. This idea specifically centers on leaving what Bloomberg calls a multinational force that may involve American troops in Gaza. According to sources who spoke with Bloomberg, the idea is one of several that have been proposed for the future of that whole region. There's another option. A second option would establish a peacekeeping force modeled on one that oversees a 1979 Egypt-Israel peace treaty while a third option would see Gaza put under temporary United Nations oversight. What do we do about it? What do we say about it? Mike Lee, constitutional expert, senator from Utah. Here's what he said about it. No. One word. No. And then he explained. The U.S. and Israel are exploring options for the future of the Gaza Strip including the possibility of a multinational force that may involve American troops. If Israeli forces succeed in ousting Hamas, people familiar with the matter said. Senator Mike Lee responded to that story. No. But that paper source stressed that this is all very preliminary and things could change, you think? Moreover, some unnamed Biden administration officials reportedly think these ideas are either too premature or very unlikely. Can you imagine what that would look like? Can you imagine Joe Biden be the commander-in-chief of any military in the throes of war anywhere around the world and especially in the Middle East? Talk about hell on earth. (laughs) My gosh. I can't imagine what the Fuhrer would be among us, 
Yeah, I'm talking about us. <laughs> we would be in constant states of demonstrations and riots because, listen closely, none of that, none of that, do we have any business trying to get in to orchestrate any actions that are taken. There are a lot of people around the world. When I spent a, a large amount of time over in Europe, 2016, this was when Donald Trump was running for president. I got to know, I was there on business. I got to know a lot of different people. They laughed at Donald Trump. They laughed at the United States of America. I was in Switzerland, Italy, Germany. I mean, I didn't go everywhere, but I interacted with a lot of people. And they formally were all in for the United States. But when our party began to split, not our party, but our government, it's always been split to some degree, but we always seem to have the ability to come together on consensus on something that's very important. I would think world peace and world military presence in countries other than the native country that has that military, that would be something that would need to be discussed exhaustively and with a lot of people weighing in on yes or no, people like Mike Lee, that no one understand. If we station any troops anywhere in the Middle East permanently, it's going to be nothing but a nightmare. You think... Afghanistan was bad when we saw that military withdrawal and the tens of thousands of people that were slaughtered and killed and now the Taliban's taken over and people are afraid to even go outside in Afghanistan. You think that was bad? Imagine what it would look like if we got involved with Israel on one side with us and the rest of the Middle Eastern world being against Israel and us. Sometimes we just simply need to recognize as Americans that some of this stuff is none of our business. Those are sovereign nations over there. They're not operating, never have and shouldn't operate at our behest in any way, especially a democratic country like Israel. And all this stuff that Biden is threatening instead of getting on the phone with Benjamin Netanyahu because Netanyahu doesn't want to talk to him. He knows Joe Biden well. They've known each other forever. He, like nobody in politics that I know, he knows Netanyahu knows Joe Biden and he knows there's no there there. And you know exactly what I meant. No there there. Just so you know, through this weekend coming up, we're going to be watching. I feel like that there's something big, like we haven't seen something big so far, but something even bigger is going to roll out at some time over this weekend. The pot is boiling, brought to a boil quickly, and then kind of turned the heat down for a while, and we settled into a skirmish type of... Uh, war there in Israel and Hamas. But it, it just feels to me the water's, the temperature's being turned up and it's getting hot again. Something's going to break loose. I believe that. So what else has happened around the world? Well, 
we told you kind of humorous, in a humorous way yesterday, about this trademark lawsuit that found its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday. Well, they heard, the court heard, oral arguments yesterday for Vidal v. Elster. Now, that case is considering whether the United States Patent and uh, Trademark Office, the USPTO, their denial, the trademark group denied a trademark for the phrase, for a three-word phrase, Trump too small, Trump T-O-O small. And they denied, the court denied that Trademarking that phrase violates the First Amendment by limiting criticism of public figures. The justices on the Supreme Court, like they don't have anything really, really life-changing to deal with. They have to stop and weigh in on this case. They seem skeptical, skeptical there was a First Amendment violation. And they cited history and prior cases that support the law USPTO relied on in its decision. And those restrictions, they stop the registration of trademarks that are using names. At the end of the day, it's pretty hard to argue that a a tradition that's been around a long, long time since the founding common law type stuff is inconsistent with the First Amendment. Justice Neil Gorsuch said that yesterday. So they they peppered the lawyer defending t-shirt maker Steve Elster with skeptical questions during their oral arguments in Vidal v. Elster yesterday, gravitating toward the government's argument that trademark protections don't restrict speech, but rather they're a government benefit conferring a commercial advantage to one group or one person over others. The phrase, which the United States Patent and Trademark Office denied Elster protection for under a trademark law restricting the registration of names, is a reference to Republican Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Remember when he was running for president against Donald Trump? He made a crude joke about Trump's little hands, small hands, during a presidential debate back then. You know what they say about guys with small hands, Rubio told the crowd. Everybody laughed, I remember it. Elster's registration request, it states that he wanted to express that some features of President Trump and his policies are diminutive, according to court documents. So, Justice Gorsuch, he suggested that history alone undermines the foundation of First Amendment arguments raised by Jonathan Taylor, the attorney defending Elster, and he pointed to a long record of other content-based restrictions like geography. At the end of the day, it's pretty hard to argue that a tradition that's been around a long, long time is inconsistent with the First Amendment. Justice Kagan pushed Taylor to name a single Supreme Court case where a viewpoint-neutral restriction on the provision of a government benefit was deemed a First Amendment violation. You can't find a case that supports your proposition. And I could go on digging into it, but listen, there are far more fish to fry in the world today. Our Supreme Court doesn't need to be bogged down by a petty little case like this. I can't even fathom the cost that the 
litigants went through to get all the way up to the Supreme Court. And why? There's no money in it. Do you think, are you waiting breathlessly to buy one of those T-shirts about the size of Donald Trump's hands? I mean, come on now. That makes absolutely no sense. And at this point, I got to I got to stop for a second. <laughs> Much of what we talk about here on this show and even the stories we write at truthnewsnet.org and publish from other people, other writers. It's all usually pretty serious stuff because life right now especially is pretty serious, right? But you know what? Every once in a while, you got to stop and relax a little bit, maybe chuckle thinking through. What do you think our justices were thinking when they were not doing oral arguments, but they were discussing behind closed doors this particular case with all the stuff going on around us? And it was like, oh my gosh, we have so many things to consider that are massive considerations very important, very critical things for our nation. Let's talk about trademarking for the purpose of printing T-shirts, making fun of former President Trump's small hands. So speaking of humor, I thought this would be a good spot for you to hear from one of my buddies, Louisiana Senator John Kennedy, talking about this insanity, this stuff that's going on, especially coming out of the Biden administration. Listen to our own Mark Twain, (laughs) John Kennedy weighing in on this kind of stuff. Parts of the world are on fire. Why is that? Um, One of the reasons, certainly not the only reason, but one of the reasons is that for the last two years and change, President Biden, in terms of national security and in terms of international relations, has, uh, has taken the bullet train to chump town. He sent every message of weakness that he could to, to Xi in China, to Putin in Russia, to the Ayatollah in, the Ram, in Iran, all of whom are working together. Uh, he sent the message that um, he believes we can achieve peace through weakness. And um, I don't think uh, that history teaches us that lesson. And I think most Americans, you know, unless you're Unless you're a tier one moron or or you're one of Hunter's hookers. (laughs) A tier one, oh my gosh. A tier one moron or one of Hunter's hookers. That's the only people that would think like that. Only John Kennedy could do that. You want some other insanity? We don't talk about some of the things that they don't want to talk about because they won't express a reason for it, they being those in the Biden administration? Well, the Biden State Department appears they're hesitant to immediately reinstate those oil sanctions that they put in place against the socialist regime of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. And they did that after his government suspended the results of the opposition's primary election. Now, Nicolas Maduro was a despot before this. They knew it. The people of Venezuela knew it. The people in the middle part of this part of the world, they knew it. So what changed? Well, Joe Biden became president. That may be one thing. 
So what's this all about? Venezuela's top court suspended the results of opposition leader Maria Corino Machado's victory in last week's primary elections, stating that it must do so in order to collect information for an investigation into the primary organizer's alleged identity theft, money laundering, and conspiracy. The Biden administration provided the Maduro regime oil sanctions relief, and they did that in exchange for agreeing to hold fair and monitored elections next year and stated it could reinstate the sanctions if Maduro does not follow through. So, the United States of America, the Joe Biden administration, Joe Biden himself, they cut a deal with Nicolas Maduro a stone-cold killer. He is not a democratic leader. He hates democracy. He's the epitome of an example of authoritarian rule. A small group of people headed by one despot at the top. That's what's happening in Venezuela. And Joe Biden cut a deal with him? The State Department has yet to commit to reinstating the oil sanctions. Now, why would that? What changed? What changed? It's all about money. Joe Biden is so desperate with the election in 2024 coming up that he actually thinks he will not only be a candidate in that race, that he's going to win it and get a second term as president. And he's looking around at all of the results of the bad policy decisions he's made. He was out on the stump yesterday in Minneapolis touting the glorified positive things that have happened to Americans across the country because of Bidenomics. He believes that it is really working. And it's doing exactly the opposite. You can't point to one positive thing that has come out of the installation by the Biden administration of Bidenomics. I dare you to give me a real example of real good things that have happened to most of the American people coming out of Bidenomics. The Democratic opposition primary on October 22nd, this is down in Venezuela, was an important milestone in Venezuela's progress toward a competitive presidential campaign in 2024. That's coming out of the Biden administration, somebody from the State Department. And they continued, the United States and the international community are following the electoral roadmap implementation. The U.S. government will take action if Maduro and his reps do not meet their commitments under the electoral roadmap. The U.S. stands with the Venezuelan people and actors who want a democratic future. In other words, Biden messed up. He made bad choices when he became president, and he turned the spigot off of the oil for the American people here in the United States. So we hadn't done any business with Nicolas Maduro the despot down in Venezuela, we weren't buying his oil. In fact, we had sanctions on him, blocking him from selling it to other countries, other free countries that we do business with, trying to get him to quit killing his own people. 
throwing them in prison. That's what he's been doing since he's been the head of the Venezuela government. And it messed Joe up. It messed him up. And he's trying to find a way to crawl out of it and do it where people aren't noticing what he's doing because he doesn't want to look bad. He's running for re-election. And he can't even think about having to deal with this on the campaign trail. I can see it now. One of the panelists asked him a question at a debate. If he'll ever debate, I don't think he ever will if he gets that far. But nevertheless, ask the question. Mr. President, can you explain the policies that you decided to adopt regarding doing business with Nicolas Maduro down in Venezuela? Did it have anything to do with the policies you implemented that stopped domestic oil production, liquid national uh, natural gas here in the United States? Did it have anything to do with that? I'd love to hear Joe Biden try to answer that question because I don't think he has an answer. I really don't. He doesn't have a good one for sure. So all this stuff is coming up in states around the country, not a bunch of them, but several of them, to find a way to remove Trump from the 2024 ballot for president. Overnight, some really important news came to the light about who is behind all of this. You're not going to believe this. Sit tight. That's up next at TNN Live. Mr. Rippermorph. Yes, Dorothy. A reporter and crew from New Center 7 Wastebusters are here to see you, sir. New Center 7. Wastebusters. They expose mind-boggling waste of taxpayers' money right here in the Miami Valley. What do they want with me? They said you sold the government a ballpoint pen, sir. So? For $1,000. Well, it came with refills. And a jar of paper clips for $2,000. They were multicolored paper clips. Uh-huh. Red ones, blue ones. What should I tell the Wastebusters, sir? Do they have lights and cameras? And the ballpoint pen, sir. Tell them I went out my window, down the fire escape, and then booked down the street screaming like a madman. I don't think they'll believe that, sir. Mr. Rippemoff? Watch News Center 7 expose government waste right here in the Miami Valley and see the Waste Busters in action. You can't escape them, sir. They're the Waste Busters. News Center 7 Waste Busters. Weeknights at 6. Coverage you can count on. They'll find him. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... (laughs) Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. For over 70... (laughs) What are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Gecko. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN. 
the Truth News Network. And this story, it has a lot to do with Pete Mostasin. There's a whole atmosphere of stupidity that is stopping many Americans from thinking logically about what's going on and why and who the players are in or part of and who's really at the bottom of a lot of these stupid things that we've watched happen over the last three and a half years. And whenever there are strange things that happen in government, you can always start sniffing around and find, when you want to find out who's responsible, follow the money. So, we have a bunch of people that hate Donald Trump, that are scared to death. He will not only run for president in 2024, but can win presidency again. What can we do to keep him from running? Look what's happened coming directly from the Biden administration. Joe Biden hates Donald Trump. He beat him once. Whether or not it was fair, that's still up in the air. We may never know factually. I thought it was very interesting to hear Dinesh D'Souza, and we played this yesterday or the day before. Dinesh D'Souza was asked by Megyn Kelly, um, why are the American people in large backing Donald Trump as very obviously way, way more than the other Republican candidates. Why is that? Because he's being indicted, it almost seems like, weekly now. Why are the people backing him? And Dinesh said this to her, and it opened my eyes. I'd never thought about it from this perspective. He said, I'll tell you why. These people, they don't believe Joe Biden, these conservatives don't believe Joe Biden was fairly elected. They believe there was cheating in the election in 2020. And their sense of their support for Donald Trump over any other Republican is this. He was doing a good job. He did a good job. He had the pandemic that was thrust his way. He didn't know how. There's no manual on how to handle a pandemic from the White House. And he may have made some bad mistakes. A lot of the bad mistakes that were made came because he was forced to consider everything Dr. Anthony Fauci had to say about medicine. After all, Fauci's an expert. And Trump lived in a world, and still does, a business where it's stupid for anybody that runs a company to think they have to know everything about everything in their company. They have to know everything. Because there's no way any one person can know everything, do everything, and expect there to be success. So Trump, using that background for how to operate as president, when there's a pandemic that came to the nation, he made decisions to trust people that he was told were experts, like Fauci. So... What you need to do with all of these bids to remove Trump from the ballot in key states, start asking the question, where's the money coming from? These political pushes, these advertising campaigns, they don't come free. Somebody's paying the bill. Somebody with a buttload full of money. So while lawfares continued against the president, Donald Trump, through a perceived political persecution 
that was brought on by numerous indictments across the nation. Radical activists have hardly remained sidelined spectators. In fact, they're engaged fully. They've engaged in legal contests of their own, trying to prevent a possible 2024 Trump candidacy from ever being viable by using money. Money. The basis that every one of the suits that have been filed so far for not allowing Donald Trump to be on the ballot is this. He participated in an insurrection attempt. In fact, they're claiming he orchestrated it. And under the specifics that are listed in the 14th Amendment, nobody that does that is going to be eligible to serve in any office in the nation after that. So, I mean, it's a simple decision. Donald Trump, on January 6th, he got people to storm the Capitol to stop the confirmation of the legally cast election ballots around the nation. There's one big problem. Donald Trump hasn't been charged by anybody in any of these indictments that have come out against him. He's not been charged for insurrection. And that falls back to this thing, you know, it gets in the way every once in a while when you want to supersede the law and get your own political stuff confirmed like Democrats are doing every day, right? You're innocent until you're proven guilty in the United States of America. Joe Biden, his people, the Department of Justice, Jack Smith, this special counsel, nobody has even alleged any kind of insurrection on the part of Donald Trump. So, in that context, who's writing the checks? Are you ready? This is a great place to have a drum roll, but I don't have one. George Soros, formerly the Open Society Institute. That was George Soros's big not-for-profit. It's, by the way, now totally controlled by his heir and successor, Alex Soros, his son, his only son. The infamous businessman's grand-making network was shown to have an established link to the 501c3 group Free Speech for People. That's who's currently challenging Trump's legal right to be on the ballot in Minnesota based on a 14th Amendment claim. So all of this came to light. I've I've shared this, my thoughts on this over and over again when this all began. It's got to be tied to George Soros. So according to an investigative think tank, Capital Research Center, at least between 2001 and 2006, the Open Society Institute had contributed a hundred grand and two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars every year to the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, from which Free Speech for People was shown to receive donations, and that's been documented by Influence Watch. So while Soros's foundation was stated to have been connected to Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington short for that is CREW, C-R-E-W, behind a similar legal fight in Colorado. And this is coming from the group's founder, Melanie Sloan, during an interview on C-SPAN. The 501c3 founded in 2010. They were responsible for both the 2016 targeting of Trump 
organization subsidiary Trump Soho for connections to the California and New York State retirement systems, an alleged violation of the domestic emoluments clause, and the movement to see the president impeached the first time. None of this stuff, none of it happens in a vacuum. There's always big money involved. And that's why the political structure of the Department of Justice drives fear into the hearts of anybody and everybody that get committed to be a target for this Department of Justice. Steve Baker's talked ad nauseum on these shows on Tuesday when he comes here about getting in litigation, criminal or otherwise, with the federal government because you've got limited sources for money. And if you're going to get involved in any kind of civil lawsuit, not criminal, just think about civil for a minute, that involves the United States government, you better have a lot of money because you can't get in a federal courtroom with good representation, legal representation. You can't go through that process unless you have access to a minimum of one hundred fifty dollars to $250,000 to do it. How many of us have that? You got an extra quarter of a million laying around somewhere that you want to use in a fight against the Department of Justice? I don't. And so they know that, they being the big entities that are filthy rich that get on the political causes that they want to destroy, money's not an object for them, so they typically win. Many times before there's even a war started. So the pertinent detail of the amendment, 14th Amendment, stated ineligibility if the alleged person had engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the U.S. or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Donald J. Trump, through his words and actions, after swearing an oath as an officer of the U.S. to support the Constitution, engaged in insurrection or rebellion. That is from the original petition that was filed by this not-for-profit. As for the case in California, ABC News reported that the evidentiary hearing that began Monday of this week was going to run five days, and crew president Noah Bookbinder had said, it's necessary to defend our republic both today and in the future. A spokesperson for President Trump had countered claims brought against Trump and said in a statement, this is a quote, the people who are pursuing this absurd conspiracy theory and political attack on President Trump are stretching the law beyond recognition. Further, Trump attorney Scott Gessler, former Secretary of State for Colorado, said in his opening remarks, it looks to extinguish the opportunity for millions of Coloradans, Colorado Republicans, and unaffiliated voters to be able to choose and vote for the presidential candidate that they want. Now, that might seem trivial to you. It is to me. But remember this. Hatred runs really, really deep. We're seeing evidence of hatred thrust in our face, probably much worse than we could think this is evil, this uh, trying to keep Trump from being on the ballot in these states 
next year in 2024's election. We're seeing it play out every day in the lives of people, literally people being attacked, maimed, killed by Hamas in this war going on in the Middle East. It's some of the same stuff. Hatred, wanting to put people down, keep people down and using money to do it that most people don't have access to. And it came as no surprise to me. I've even maintained on this show, George Soros or his son have got to be at the bottom of this. And sure enough, we find out that they are. So in the middle of looking at this mess going on in the Middle East, night before last, the Houthi rebels out of Yemen, they formally declared war, full-out war against Israel. Now, the Houthi rebels... They're nothing more than a, um, a tool of Iran. There are many of those over in the Middle East. In fact, Iran's being kind of smart. They use these stand-ins to do the dirty work. Iran's giving these individual groups, giving them millions of dollars to use. They're pulling all the strings, but they're not getting the blame. With all of this going on, and our president, as we told you a few minutes ago, he's talking about permanently creating a presence in the Middle East for members of U.S. military. If Israel is successful at getting rid of Hamas, put that in the context of what I'm going to tell you now. You feel good about our military right now? Do you think we're ready to take on any of these crazy nuts around the world I mean, they're coming out of the woodwork attacking the United States, aren't they? So in the middle of this, the Air Force yesterday touted at least 11 events that have happened over three months focused around another drum roll, DEI. Remember the conversation about DEI? That was the tool that everybody on the left was using to dumb down every group, every organization, and give the government sole control to determine who's eligible for anything, to do anything or be anything. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. Your Air Force, United States Air Force, are touting 11 events that they fostered in three months, focused around DEI, featuring teams from the service's DEI branch in a newsletter covering the third quarter of 2023. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy and safe? These Air Force DEI events culminated with the second annual Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Conference. It happened last month. (laughs) A newsletter said this, In the vast expanse of air and space, diverse perspectives and inclusive strategies are paramount. That's from Marianne Malagia, director of the Air Force's Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And the Air Force is bragging about it (laughs) in a newsletter. This quarter, the DAF. Now, what the heck is the DAF? It's another one of these organizations within our government. This quarter, she said, the DAF has soared to new heights, continuously demonstrating its unyielding commitment 
to fostering a diverse, inclusive, equitable, and accessible environment. In August, the Indigenous Nations Equality Team, one of the Air Force's seven barrier analysis working groups, contributed to educating the U.S. Air Force Academy and ROTC Gold Bar recruiters on Native American peoples and providing tips on how to be successful when interacting with tribal members. You can't make this crap up. It's happening. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin orchestrated all of this. And we're facing an imminent war in the Middle East that will, if it breaks out, we're going to be involved in a much greater way than we are. And with this amazing commander-in-chief in charge in the White House today, don't you feel warm and fuzzy about what's going to happen when we get involved in a war with Joe Biden as president and Lloyd Austin as Secretary of Defense? They've got the DEI stuff. They got it going on, taken care of. Oh, we're going to walk up to these killers in Hamas and give them one of the manuals that teaches how to get along and be giving everybody equal rights, making sure, in fact, we'll teach you how to make sure your people get everything they have coming due them. Not because they've earned anything, but just because that's a nice thing. We got to do that. They're not even talking. Nobody at the Biden administration is talking about the evil that's happening in this nation. We have every day, we have tens of thousands of Jews, American Jews around the nation that today are fearful for their lives because this administration refuses to hold those accountable that are threatening the lives of people because of nothing these people have done at all other than just be born a Jew. It is the epitome of the purest form of evil that permeates racism. In this case, it's called anti-Semitism, which echoes the cries from Hamas and Iran and all these Middle Eastern jihadist organizations. One nation, its citizens, has no right to exist. We need to exterminate them. Last night, one student going to Cornell, a Jewish student, came forward to talk about what it's like to go to a prestigious Ivy League school, Cornell. Parents spending tens of thousands of dollars to give this student the best education possible at one of America's greatest institutions. At least it has been in the past. The students stepped forward and talked about what they're going through right now. Cornell University student is in custody, charged by the Department of Justice with making violent anti-Semitic threats. Investigators say Patrick Dye was arrested yesterday, accused of online threats against Jewish students, including rape and murder. The DOJ also says Dye threatened to bring an assault rifle to campus to shoot Jews. And this comes amid a saddening surge in anti-Semitic threats and hate crimes across the U.S. And today, Attorney General Garrick Merrick Garland even doubled down on his promise that the DOJ will combat these acts of hate, telling Jewish Americans, you are not alone. 
Amanda Silverstein is a sophomore at Cornell and is on the board of the school's Shabbat Center for Jewish Life. Amanda, glad you could be with us. Yes, thank nice you for joining you. us, Amanda. This is such a disturbing story. How are you and your classmates doing in light of this? And what's the mood there on Cornell's campus right now? I think that everyone is just a little overwhelmed with shock, actually finding out that it was a Cornell student, you know, despite any any possibility that his, you know, remarks online, however violent they were towards me and my community, that they could have stemmed from a place of isolation and depression. Still being able to, you know, finally understand that it was in fact a Cornell student, someone we attend class with every day who posed these threats to our lives um, is really shocking. And we're all just, you know, trying to figure out how to cope with it and to understand what really happened. So your university's president alerted the community about the anti-Semitic threats uh, made online. In your experience as a Jewish student, I mean, how bad has this gotten? How much worse has this gotten since the Hamas attack on October 7th? So prior to October 7th, I personally had never experienced anti-Semitism on campus. Um, we really do have an amazing Jewish community here at Cornell uh, that has grown substantially in recent years. However, since October 7th, um, there have been many instances where there were outward cases of anti-Semitism, including, you know, our posters of hostages little kids being torn down or vandalized uh, with the words free Hamas written over them. Uh, there have been cases of graffiti all over campus with the words F Israel, uh, Zionism is genocide and free Palestine written all over campus. Um, and, you know, the university did act to remove them, but it took time and having to walk to class, seeing that was really striking. Um, additionally, there were, you know, chants of from the river Palestine from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free um, at various rallies around campus, um, which essentially calls for the destruction of Israel, which is situated in between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. So are you taking more precautions to protect yourself? Yeah, even even my family members who are in Israel keep checking in with me. Um, they're more worried about my safety here on an American camp, college campus than, you know, they're worried about their own safety being in Israel right now. Um, and, you know, telling me don't engage with the protesters, you know, stay safe. I actually personally have a Jewish flag, an Israeli flag sticker on my water bottle. And I find myself, you know, trying to hide it sometimes when walking by these rallies out of fear for my own safety. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, both of us are sitting here, I mean, especially as parents. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and to think, I mean, we didn't even, I, I don't know, it's unfathomable that you're, you feel, that they feel you're, you're not safe on a U.S. college campus, worse off than, than they are in Israel. I mean, and, that just hammers it home. And if I may drill down on that, is it something that students brought to Cornell hmm. or something about the... What, what what people observe as the the teaching in many campuses about uh, about race, about Israel, about other things is this what is going on? I'll answer that question. It's got a simple answer. People have adopted hatred. There's no other way to describe it than to say that. And that's going to be the ending note of today. Pray for the people of Israel. Pray for Jewish people in the U.S.
that are facing an assault on their lives for one reason and one reason only. They're Jewish. Hey guys, have a great Thursday. We will be back to start your weekend off tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. at TNN Live. So long, everybody.